The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Good employment law show. We are ready to go. Email option as well. That is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Lots to get through today. And uh, I think, Andrew, we're going to tackle uh, lost your job due to COVID-19. What a non-unionized employee needs to know. Again, possibly the biggest topic currently right now over the last 58, 59 weeks. And I know it continues to be on your phone at the office as well, Andrew. But first week that was, what do you got going on, brother? Hey, John. Um, well, there's a, a topic I wanted to discuss because uh, it came up this week and it's something that, you know, I see often, and, and that's kind of what I usually try to draw on for these week at a glance uh, topics. But essentially, I had a client, this individual suffers from lower back pain, and their doctor is still trying to figure out, with the help of specialists, why this back pain exists. They can't get to the bottom of it, but they're on their way. Long story short, though, this individual, their physician is saying, look, you can't work right now. You're unable to work uh, for medical reasons and has written notes to the employer saying this person should be off. So what do they do? They apply for short-term disability coverage through their employer. And it takes a few weeks um, for the insurer to figure out what they're going to do. Lo and behold, they get denied for the short-term disability coverage because they can't source the pain. And now the employer is taking the position that, look, your insurance uh, provider who, you know, would have given you short-term disability benefits is saying you're not covered. So if you're not covered, your leave is not supported and you have to come back to work. And this employee called me freaking out, obviously, saying, look, I can't work. My, do- my doctor's saying I can't work. Um, my employer saying I have to go back to work. What do I do? And the simple answer is this individual does not have to go back. It does not matter that the insurer didn't approve the short-term disability. All that matters is uh, that uh, their their physician says that they're medically unable to do so. So by no means do you have to go back in that scenario. Yeah, it's interesting. I know from both an employment standpoint and a disability law standpoint, which, by the way, the firm does and handles both. You guys always work hand in hand because there's so much crossover between the two. As far as being off and work and working with your doctor, it's not based on the diagnosis. It's based on the symptom, meaning if you're sick and your doctor says you cannot work, it doesn't matter if it's a hangnail or if it's you know, a gastro bypass you need. The fact is you can't work, correct? And with the doctor's approval and doctor's note, that's enough, correct? Exactly. That's exactly the point. It, it, just because the insurer doesn't agree that you should be receiving payments, I mean, you know, we have the insurance, uh, tons of lawyers at the firm that, that practice on the disability side, people are getting cut off left, right and center and, and aren't being approved for their insurance benefits. But it doesn't matter what the insurer has to say in that regard when it comes to your employment rights. If your doctor says you can't work, it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. It doesn't matter you're, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's a lot of uh, issues for which, uh, you know, medicine hasn't been able to provide clear solutions. But in an employment context, as long as your doctor says your symptoms preclude you from working, like you said, 
and your doctor's prepared to, you know, substantiate that in writing so you can bring that to your employer, you do not have to work. So people do get these notes all the time, though, and, and you know, understandably are super anxious about it. And my employer saying, oh, I have to come back by next Monday. And they call me, what do I do? And it's very simple. If your doctor says you need to be off, you're allowed to be off. Lynn, thank you for standing by for a couple moments. And how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And how are you? Excellent. Thank you uh, so much for taking time out of your day. What's uh, what's going on with you, Lynn? Well, I know somebody. Uh, he's actually, he works in the construction industry. He's a trade. And uh, his boss has a wall of shame. So when the employee makes an error, or there's uh, some sort of a, a goof up, I guess, they post it on a wall for all the other employees to see. Is that legal? Well, that's uh, that's quite uh, unfortunate for uh, that individual, you know. I, I mean, it, the thing, the, what it really comes down to is, you know, you have the right as an employee not to work in a toxic work environment, okay? So obviously, if they have a wall of shame for mistakes and the idea behind that wall of shame obviously is to you know poke fun at someone that screwed up and, and draw attention to it and kind of make them feel uncomfortable yeah. uh, things like that if that person feels um that you know they almost can't work at that workplace just because of some simple little mistake everyone's you know giving them a hard time and treating them poorly and it, it's possible that that could give rise to a constructive dismissal claim you could say because of this toxic work environment, I don't feel comfortable working here. And right. uh, and you instead of that being treated as a resignation, you could almost treat that as a termination, right? But I think what's important in that scenario is you'd have to communicate to the employer that there's an issue and it um, before acting on the constructive dismissal claim. Usually that is gonna be necessary. Okay. Okay, well, I'll just maybe suggest that they get a photo of it before they confront it so they've got evidence. But there are other employees posted up there. I just thought it's the strangest way to motivate people, you know? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank <demotivate>. you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Thank you so much uh, for answering my question. I appreciate it. Of course. Appreciate, uh, appreciate your time, Lynn. Yeah, this whole wall of shame, boys will be boys, funny stuff on the construction side. I mean, I, I know I understand it could be very tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, the, the fallout from that is some people might take extreme offense to that. So you gotta you got to curtail that stuff, and there's got to be some sort of fallout from that on, on, the, on the legal side. No? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, look, to some degree, there is merit to the position that, in different types of workplaces, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be some flexibility in terms of what can be said and, and the kind of uh, attitude and behavior. I mean, if you know, if you work at a head office downtown on Bay Street, the type of language uh, that's acceptable might be different than on a construction work site. But that doesn't mean there's not a line in the sand. And I mean, having a wall of shame and, you know, ridiculing uh, your employees publicly to each other you know, I see how that could certainly cross the line and give rise to uh, a constructive dismissal claim. Yeah, Lynn, uh, by the way, if you want to follow up at a later time or any more questions uh, to ask Andrew, you could do that. Here's the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and help at employmentlawyer.ca. 
want to get on to a, a topic you uh, you put across this morning, Andrew, before we started off, and that is lost your job due to COVID-19. What a non-unionized employee needs to know. I can only imagine the number of phone calls you've been fielding for the last several months because of this topic. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is what we're, we're talking about all the time. Uh, this is the everything. This is like really everything we're doing. It deals with uh, just people dealing with COVID-19 related issues. So that's just become the norm. And, um, you know, we're just trying to help people get through these times and, and share their rights with them and, and we know what they can do, what they can't do. And um, so, so definitely um, huge topic of conversation and uh, hopefully one day it won't be any longer and we can move yeah. forward. But, but uh, obviously it's changed the landscape a lot. And, and the craziest part is, this is just what's become normal. I mean, I, it's hard to remember what life was like before uh, the pandemic now. Okay. Lost your job, COVID-19, non-union. Uh, you do not have to sign any termination papers or accept any severance offer on the spot or by a deadline. Let's start there. That's a big one. <clears throat> yeah. And then this topic is one that applies outside of the pandemic as well, but with more and more going on in, in the sense that there's more employers trying to get away with not paying severance or paying a reduced severance um, or trying to find some way to circumvent your full entitlements, it, it's more important now than ever to appreciate you do not have to sign a severance package on spot. Uh, the deadline of the employer does not matter. Speak to an employment lawyer, give us a call before doing anything. Um, you know, people will, so many people regret the fact that they signed something and, and they come in and they say, well, is there still anything you can do? Can we get around this? And, and most of the time, if you sign the package, the answer is going to be no. There are some few rare exceptions where if you're really forced under duress to sign in, in right away in the moment, there is an argument you can get around it, but you don't want to have to rely on those arguments. Just you're far better off not signing, taking the time, do not worry about the deadline, don't feel pressured by that. Yeah, you have up to two years, right? So, and that's in that the, the deadline, as you've said, and Lior said countless times in the show, that deadline is, is quite simply not carved in stone. It, it's, you can disregard it. It's a pressure tactic. They want people to go, oh, geez, I'm going to get this sucker back by Friday or I'm going to be in deep trouble. I better just sign this release and, and be done with it, right? Exactly. I mean, it's nothing but a pressure deadline. I mean, what what you see in, in very authentic offers by employers is, you know, they give you time. They say, go speak to a lawyer if you want to, get legal advice. If, if that's the kind of thing that's being told to you, um, you know, you probably feel a little more comfortable you're being treated fairly. But the more pressure that's put on you, the more problematic you have to assume it is. Uh, there's a reason why that pressure is being there. Certainly, it's not for your best interest. Andrew Goldberg here for the remainder of the morning, answering all your questions. Employment Law Show. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back, Employment Law Show. You bet. Call in. Remainder of the show. It is all for you to answer your questions. And uh, we'll get back to our topic, and that is uh, lost 
Uh, your job due to COVID-19, what non-employees need to know. That is on the way, but first, always, callers, top priority. Kathy, thank you for uh, waiting through the break. How are you? I'm doing very well. And my question uh, relates to a relative of mine. He's reporting into the CEO now. And he was recently told that uh, effective, uh, I think, two weeks' time, he will report, he will not report to the CEO anymore, he and one other person, but uh, he will report to a new position that's created, and that position reports to the CEO. What advice would you have for him from a legal point of view? Well, Kathy, thanks for calling. Um, I think really it would require a bit more information. I mean, from the sounds of it, they're kind of putting a new level of, of management in between uh, your relative and the CEO. So I, I assume it's going to end up having the effect of feeling like a demotion, right? right. Um, so an employer does not have the right to uh, demote an employee without their consent. Now, that can be changed maybe to some degree if if your relative signed a contract at the beginning of their employment or, or recently um, or really at any time since then. But on the surface of it, if they're now having to report to someone new who reports into the CEO, and that's also coupled with maybe a reduction in their responsibilities because now this new middle person is taking on some of the responsibilities that your relative used to take, uh, certainly that could be... Uh, treated as a constructive dismissal. Now, I mean, I, I'd recommend to your relative that they give us a call just so we can flush out some more information so we can give kind of like a concrete um, assessment of the case. But I think the important thing is in the meantime, your relative does not want to say anything or put anything in writing that makes it seem as if they, they're accepting this change, right? And the longer that they go on, if they start, if they put in this middle manager or whatever it is now, and your relative doesn't do anything about it, the longer it goes on, the harder it will be for them to make out that they have a case. Mm-hmm. Be- because they'll be deemed to have, like if you, you kind of accept by doing sometimes. So if you just let something go and days and weeks go by, that can be treated as your relative's acceptance of the situation. So they, so they definitely want to get on it sooner than later. if It's a problem for them. They, they have assured him that there's no change in responsibilities, that he will be getting the same pay, he has the same responsibilities, um, but he sees it as a demotion because, as you rightly said, he now has to go through someone else to get to the CEO. He would probably not be included in sort of, a, you know, the planning decisions. Uh, he can't work as independently as he used to. Perhaps they're not clear. He's not clear on all of the um, the terms, uh, the changes that are happening. Right. So, I mean, again, it's hard to give concrete advice, you know, through a third person without all the information, I'm sure, as you can understand. So the best bet would have them call us. But, you know, one thing that can be said is if, if the CEO is assuring your relative nothing will change, uh, tell your, an option could be to get the CEO to put that in writing, that nothing's going to change, my job will stay the same, my duties will stay the same, my role will stay the same, responsibilities, everything, um, just as you said. And then if any of that changes, they can 
rely on that written uh, communication to say, look, I gave this a fair chance. Uh, you know, I expressed my concern, but on your representation that everything would be fine and remain in place and remain identical, I gave this a chance, but you didn't hold your word. And now I'm treating this as a constructive dismissal. So um, that's something that they can consider doing as well to kind of protect themselves. Great. That sounds good. Thank you very much for your advice. I'll ask him to follow up with you. Thanks, Kathy. Sure. I appreciate your uh, your time today. And here's the phone number to reach out afterwards anytime. one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Get to another call as we roll on here. Got uh, got Joe standing by. Hi, Joe. How are you? And not too bad. Yourself? Good, sir. What's uh, what's on your mind? Okay, so... um. I've been uh, working in this property as a house manager for the last five years. And um, for, uh, I would say, in the last three months, I had a small injury. Uh, my doctor advised me to stay uh, one week uh, home. And um, I was uh, going to take a week off. But uh, some of my other co-workers told me in the past, when they took time off for injuries, they don't get paid or they don't have a WSIB or insurance. So. Uh, I was a little bit confused, and I wasn't sure if that was true or not. So I didn't. I did work through my injury. I didn't take the time off, but I just wanted to find out if um, if that is true. Like, if you work for an employer, I know it's a it's a private employer, but uh, I just needed to know if they're obligated to have WSIB or any type of insurance on us. Well, that's an excellent question. So generally, employers do uh, have to have uh, WSIB coverage. Um, there are some exceptions uh, to that in the guidelines and the regulations. But, but I think the important part to keep in mind is, you know, if you are medically unable to work, then, and that's what your doctor is telling you uh, is best for you at this point in time, you have to, you know, you should abide by what your doctor says. And I think the more important part is, is your employer going to, um, you know, uh, penalize you in any way for doing so? So, I mean, to the extent possible, what you could do for now is you could call the WSIB and, uh, and uh, see what their position is with respect to your current employer's you know, coverage or lack thereof and, and what they suggest in the situation. But other than that, I think it really comes down to an employer doesn't have an obligation to pay while off work for medical reasons. Um, if they have a short-term disability plan, it's possible you could get covered through there. But if the injury happened at work, uh, sometimes you won't get the coverage. So I understand your, your situation and the difficulty because, uh, you know, you want to be covered through WSIB, but I mean, right now, in the meantime, all you can do is, I suppose, give them a call, see what they have to say on that topic, and just kind of make sure, keep an eye on the fact that if you do take time off work, uh, you're not treated differently or poorly when you return. Okay. Okay, cool. No, I just wanted to uh, make sure because, you know, pretty much what they told me is, you know, if you have an injury at work, you're on your own, you're not going to get paid, you just, you know, uh, so... I wasn't really sure if that was legal, if they, if they're able to do that, or if, um, you know, if we still should get paid our salary, even if we're home the time, you know, during the injury, so I wasn't really sure about that. <clears throat> yeah. So you don't, there's no, 
it's not mandatory that you have to receive your salary. Unfortunately, that's why employers uh, provide uh, short-term and long-term disability coverage uh, at times because um, that, that could give you income in the event something happens, you're medically unable to work. For the WSIB side of things, uh, typically for most industries, it is mandatory to have WSIB coverage. There are some carve-outs, but I think at this stage, if, if you're concerned about that, you could call um, the WSIB, let them know kind of more about information about your employer, the situation, and uh, get their perspective as to whether uh, they even have coverage. Maybe they do. I mean, you're relying right now on some of your colleagues that, uh, you know, I assume no you could get some verification and then find out if there is no coverage, whether or not that that's appropriate, right? Joe, appreciate the time. Going to uh, going to move on here. Continue with our topic at hand. Yeah, you lost your job due to COVID nineteen. What uh, you need to know, non unionized employees. Um, if you didn't know this by now, by listening to our show for the last eight years, you will in a moment. That is severance is based on many factors and can amount to as much as not twenty four days, twenty four weeks, twenty four months pay. Right? That is correct. So I mean, once again, another topic of conversation that we discuss all the time is, you know, what gives rise to the calculation of your severance? How do you determine what it is that you're owed? And, and we, we do mention that things like age, of course, the older you are, uh, the higher your severance amount will be, the longer you've been somewhere. Um, you know, the, the position and the nature of your position, the more high level and specialized it is, the managerial role, you could be entitled to more severance. Uh, these are very important factors. You know, one thing that's interesting, though, that we're seeing uh, from the courts as of late is there's being much less emphasis being put on what kind of role you had, like the type of job, if it's kind of a lower level, entry level, or, or kind of frontline job. I mean, in the past, uh, you know, lawyers for the companies would argue, oh, that's uh, uh, frontline position, there's tons of those positions, uh, they shouldn't be entitled to, to as much of a severance, but, uh, you know, our legal system doesn't seem to care about that anymore. They say, look, we don't care that this is a entry-level role, we still think that this person is going to be entitled to a significant severance, uh, which is great for people out there uh, who want to ensure that they uh, have protection in the event that they lose their job. Yeah, it's just another reason not to listen to your friend or your neighbor, even if they just lost their job and got uh, not as much severance as they should. They don't know unless you're an employment lawyer, you should really uh, reach out to Andrew, remember the team, because uh, why would you bother and even entertain the fact of shortchanging yourself? That number, by the way, one 821 5900 If only for a question or conversation with Andrew about that topic or anything else, it's it's good just to get educated, make that phone call, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Uh, you were entitled to full severance pay even if the termination is related to COVID-19. And I know we got a break in a couple minutes, Andrew, but so many employers, and you can't blame them for that. They've fallen on hard times, but they're kind of using that as a crutch to say, you know what, your severance will be drastically reduced because of COVID-19, right? Right. And, and some employers have fallen on hard times, but some certainly have not. Um, COVID-19 is an excuse uh, to let you go. I mean, the funniest argument I, that we see sometimes is the employer will write a termination letter, say, oh, because of COVID-19, we have to let you go. 
And then when we're fighting for severance, they say, oh, well, they, they should be able to find a job easily. I mean, COVID really hasn't gone in the way too much. It's like, well, okay, thanks for that. But I think what's really interesting uh, more than anything as well is we are starting to see some recognition that if anything, the pandemic and the lack of jobs in many industries could lead to a higher severance entitlement. So we're seeing actually higher severance entitlements um, recently because of the impact COVID's had on, on the ability of someone to find a new job. So, you know, not only could uh, the pandemic have no impact with respect to reducing your entitlements, it could actually increase your entitlements. And that, with that, we're going to take a, a small break. Continue Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to it. And joining us this hour from the firm, the Employment Law Ninja himself, Andrew Goldberg. You got a problem or a question, say, very capable member of the team to reach out to anytime one 821 5900 That's when we're not doing this show and help at employmentlawyer.ca. I want to mention as well a website that's absolutely free and anonymous for you to use a ton of employment law information. Even before the phone call to Andrew, you can go here, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Among other things you will learn on that website for absolutely no charge, of course, there's the severance pay calculator wrapped up into it. So you can uh, go through a quick 30-second metric and find out what you would be owed if the uh, unfortunate event occurs that you've lost your job and you're wondering, wow, are they giving me enough severance? Well, that can be cleared up in moments again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And on that note, we're going to get back to this, Andrew, in between our uh, phone calls. By the way, you still have lots of time to call in and uh, ask Andrew a question. Lost your job due to COVID-19. Many people have. They may be on the cusp of doing so, so you need to know this information. The next one is this. Do not accept a termination for cause at face value. Yeah, well, before that, I, I think I now have to update my business cards to have uh, empl- Employment Law Ninja <laughs> thrown on there. It's got a ring to it. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad, actually. Your employment Law Black Belts. Um, uh, yeah, so... Termination for cause, do not accept that at face value. What, what, you know, the point, the moral of the story is here. If you get terminated for cause uh, at, you know, at law, it's possible that you're not entitled to severance. And for it's situations uh, where you're terminated because of a wrongdoing uh, on your part. Now, it's very, very hard to make that out, extremely hard. And the more, the point is, if, just because your employer says it has cause to terminate your employment, it means absolutely nothing. They're not the uh, arbiter of what is cause or not cause. They're what they say really means nothing. Uh, so just because that's uh, what's told to you, um, you really can just discount that and, and go speak to a lawyer and really see what what's the deal. And the reason why we're speaking about this is because during the pandemic, employers are trying to get off the hook with their um, obligations to employees. They're trying whatever they can to not pay money. And, you know, some employers are like, okay, well, if we terminate this person for cause, we we could, we could just not give them their severance. So let's try to do that. And 
what's going to be critical is, is kind of seeing that ahead of time. So if you've worked at a company for 13, 14 years and it's, you've been relatively discipline free, uh, you haven't had any warnings on paper, you've been not, never been suspended. Now, all of a sudden your employers all over you for every small thing you're doing, um, you might have to see the writing on the wall there. You, you might have to see why are they doing this? And, and it, it could be because they're trying to build the case against you that they have a cause to terminate you in order to avoid paying your severance entitlements. 416-870-6400 is the way to call through. And we're talking about what non-unionized employees need to know about losing your job due to COVID-19. Contractors are often owed a severance package. We get this phone call all the time. They figure, you know, I'm a contractor. I've been told by the boss or by whoever that, uh, you know, because of my job, my vocation, I don't get severance. Tell me about that. Well, the, this is actually probably one of my favorite areas to work in is, is these issues involving contractors. And it's a similar thing to the cause scenario we just spoke about, which is just because an employer says you're a contractor um, and on paper you've signed something saying you're a contractor, that once again doesn't necessarily mean anything at all. What matters is the substance of the relationship, right? It doesn't matter what you call it, it matters what it is. And the most important factor is uh, economic dependence. So if you earn the vast majority or all of your money from one company, it doesn't matter that you're labeled as a contractor, uh, the overwhelming odds are you'll be uh, treated as an employee at law. And if you're let go, uh, entitled to a severance just as an employee would, right? So um, I, I love these cases because the, the law is so favorable for for great decisions on why these uh, so-called contractors should be treated as an employee. And um, it really doesn't matter that maybe for CRA purposes, you have an HST number and you're invoicing the company. Once again, that doesn't matter either. What matters is the actual relationship uh, between you and the employer. We'll get to one final point on this. What you need to know is, uh, you know, as a non-unionized employee due to COVID-19, and I've said it several times during the show, always rings true. Contact an employment lawyer to find out what your rights are regardless. That should be your first step. Right. right. So that, that applies to virtually any situation you can be in. You know, you're, when you contact our firm, for example, to get legal advice, you're, you're never tying yourself to some lengthy, expensive legal process. Uh, you're just calling in to, you know, maybe max 45 minutes an hour, um, speak to a legal uh, professional that, you know, if there's relevant documentation uh, that pertains to your situation, we'll review that ahead of the call. <clears throat> You'll provide some preliminary information to us. We'll suss out some additional information over the call and then discuss kind of the risks, your upside, your options, um, you know, what things will look like going forward, what are the best things you can do from here. It's a very simple process, really, and, and it's not going to be a huge commitment of time, and it could change, you know, the entire landscape of what happens uh, in the future of your employment and, and your also your financial future. So. It, it err on the side of caution, even if you call us and we say, look, there's not like you, like the vast majority of the time, there's something we can do. Um, but even if you're on that odd uh, chance that you're, you know, you've been given an excellent severance package or, uh, you know, there's nothing that can be done in your 
specific situation, it's better just to have that peace of mind because the odds are there will be something we can do. So it's not really a gamble. And, and I don't, you know, people who called in the earlier they call, the higher the prospect will be that we will be able to do more for them as well. So definitely a very critical point. Um, and uh, certainly would insist that if, if anyone's experiencing something that they feel is wrong, don't just let it, you know, ruminate there. Give us a call and, and we'll be happy to help. Yeah, and, and, you know, and alongside that one, I know we often talk about, uh, Andrew, that people assume, oh, you know, just if I'm going to pick up the phone and give Andrew a call, get some information, I'm going to have my visa ready. That's that's simply not the case. It's it's a phone call and a chat just to get information, right? It could be just a couple minutes is all you need, really. Exactly. It, it, that's precisely correct. You're not, you're not committing to any, you're not signing a retainer. You're not committing to any sort of legal process where, you know, oh, like we're taking not happening it's it's a like you said sometimes the call is five to ten minutes um sometimes you have a five to ten minute call we can tell you one or two things to do very quickly and that could improve your situation such that when you call us back it, uh when you know your case really uh becomes um kind of more tangible you've now set yourself up to be in the best position possible so i agree entirely it's not one of these situations where you're committing to uh a huge uh, monetary investment in hours of time. We still got some more to go here. We'll get on to another topic, uh, discuss a few more things, maybe get to an email or two. And, of course, that phone call, still got time. Now would be the time to call through, talk to Andrew, get your questions solved and answered, 416-870-6400. Employment Law Show, this is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back indeed. We still got some time to go. Your phone calls always a uh, top priority. Going to get to uh, to Harry. Hey Harry, thanks for hanging on for a moment. How are you? Hey guys, how are you? Just love the show, of course. Big Excellent fan. Brother. What's, uh, I what's got a question you? for you. Um, should I proceed in uh, suing my uh, boss for laying me off, and I do get a settlement in the end for severance, what is the taxes you would pay on that, on any settlement? Does the amount matter, or I don't know? So, excellent question, okay. Um, you know, living in Canada, I assume you probably already know the answer to this. And the answer is yes, it is taxable income. Okay. So you have to keep in mind what, what wrongful dismissal damages are. It's, um, it's pay, pay in lieu of notice. It's, it's pay because you've lost your job because you've lost your income. So it, it essentially represents your lost income. And in the same way that if you receive, when you receive your pay at work, you get subject to income taxes. So is, um, uh, you know, a severance amount that you settle on, okay? But but there's a couple of moving parts to that. So number one, it's treated in income as income like anything else. So in terms of how much you get, that could affect the withholdings, like what's withheld at source. But at the end of the day, the CRA is just going to look at what your income was for the year. So if you get 10000 for a severance settlement or you get 100000 that's just going to get tacked on your income and you'll be taxed accordingly. Right. Okay, I see. I see. But the, the one thing I'll, I'll let you you know keep in mind, 
be additional kind of components of your claim. Like say, for example, um, there's an age discrimination or, or any site, uh, kind of a human rights issue uh, associated with your wrongful dismissal. If, if you settle your file based on both the kind of the severance piece and uh, the human rights piece, the human rights damages are tax-free, right? So it does uh -huh. depend on the situation, but the, the pure severance portion itself definitely 100% is taxable. Oh, very nice. Thanks for that. Uh, and um, as of far as when I actually did get a settlement, I've heard that there's three different ways you can get paid out. Is that true or I'm not too sure? Well, I mean, as a settlement's a settlement, right? So you can, there's really infinite ways you can get paid out. It just depends how you structure it. I mean, typically the common ways are one, you just get paid a lump sum payment. So all the money comes at once, right? Um, the second way is, a salary continuance where the employer just continues making your bi-weekly or bi-monthly or weekly payments, whatever it was in the normal course uh, in accordance with the business practices, or it could be a, a hybrid, right? It could, your settlement could be, uh, okay, we'll agree to pay 10,000 a month for the next six months. Really it, it's at that point, once you're kind of negotiating a settlement, there's room for, to kind of for movement on that side of things but typically more often than not it's a lump sum payment it just sometimes it can depend on different factors as well great great explanation thank you very much guys i appreciate the show keep it up there's a lot of people who are ignorant of the law thanks harry appreciate uh, appreciate the uh, the kind words there and your time this morning as you probably know anyway you want to reach out to andrew to have a discussion of that nature because a lot of people ask that question one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred help at employmentlawyer.ca. Got a couple minutes to go. I think I'll try to get to an email or two. Uh, Kate writes in says, Hey Andrew, my employer decided to change my compensation after fourteen years. He said that due to the current status uh, of the economy, the company will be reducing my pay for some of the employees and cutting performance bonuses for others. Roughly twenty five percent of my pay comes from my performance bonus. What are my options? Wow. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, if, if uh, so it seems like she hit on two points that the pay will be reduced for some and perform performance bonuses cut for others. So in Kate's situation, uh, I think it was 25% of the pay comes from the performance bonus. So if the performance bonus were to be cut, 25% uh, is uh, significant. And if it's cut because the employer just says, ah, too bad, we're not giving this to you anymore, then that is a, a fundamental change. It is a fundamental change for employment, and she can treat that as a constructive dismissal and say, I'm not accepting that cut and pursue her severance. Uh, however, you know, there <clears throat> also is a situation, keep in mind, that if the, if the bonus is based on performance and part of that is the performance of the company, and the company is struggling for whatever reason because of COVID and their, their numbers are down. If the employer's not actually changing the performance uh, bonus, but you just aren't hitting your target in accordance with the existing bonus structure, that might be totally fine. There might not be anything wrong with that, right? So it depends really what's going on. If they're just outright cutting it, then that's definitely problematic constructive dismissal claim. And she also mentioned that they're cutting the pay for some employees. Um, you know, usually anything 
is roughly above 10% plus of a change of uh, earnings would uh, give rise to a potential constructive dismissal claim. So it'll come down to what that change ends up being if it is applied to Kate. And she's got to get on top of this, at least not let it just happen, because after a certain time, it'll she'll deem to have been accepted it, and then she can't go back, right? Get on it. Yeah, absolutely. So with anything, if an employer makes a change in the workplace and you are not comfortable with the change, it's, it's a negative change to you. Uh, you're, you're exactly right, John. If you um, do nothing about it and let it just sit there and continue onward, that could be considered you accepting that change, and then you'll, you might be precluded from doing anything. We are done for the morning. Sorry, Joshua, could not get to your call. We're, uh, we're completely out of time, but here's what you want to do. You want to reach out afterwards to Andrew. You can have a lengthier chat, as, as a matter of fact, one 821 5900 Call that number, one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And finally, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.